0: what is going on? Why is it so, so hard to read? I had to squint to see anything. And I didn't even realize, because it had been happening over days and weeks, months, even probably years, that I've been slowly losing some of my vision. But I was like, why is everything so small? I've got to sit up right next to the front, even just like three feet in front of me. I can barely make out what's on the board. And either my teacher noticed or my parents noticed or something, but uh, my uncle was in town, and he took me to go to the eye doctor. And I remember going in there, and they put that thing in front of your face, one or two. Three or four, you know what I'm talking about. And they gave me a prescription. I got my brand new set of glasses. And I remember putting them on and walking out of that eye doctor for the first time. And I was like, whoa, whoa. I even have some little glasses so I can I put them on. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I I can see the sun. I can see the, the leaves on the tree. I didn't even know everything was so clear. How could that even be? And I remember my uncle was with me. He said, Matt, I bet you can see all the way to Kansas. And I was like, yeah, that's how I feel. I really felt like I could see Kansas that day. I didn't even know what I was missing. I didn't even know that I was <laughs> practically like blind. Until I had those glasses on, I didn't know. And in case you are wondering, yes, I had glasses and a bowl cut. I looked like Harry Potter. And no, that was never cool. Okay, That was never cool. But putting on those glasses, I could finally see. I had vision again. I could see Clearly. And it's amazing because I didn't even know what I was missing until I put them on. So what we're going to talk about in this kingdom vision series is that when we begin to see the world the way that God wants us to, with his eyes, we begin to see the kingdom of God all around us. At work, God is moving. He's working in people's hearts. He's working in our church. He's working in our community. And what I'm going to challenge you today, and this is really for the whole series, but it's to see the world with kingdom vision. I want you to put on those kingdom spectacles, as it were, to put on those glasses so that you can see the kingdom of God around you. Because God can enable us to see something that, that we didn't even know we were missing. But that's what he wants us to see. He's challenging us to say, hey, there's more to the world than meets the eye. And that's what I want you to walk out of here and after the series develops. So what I'm going to do, I know some of you, it's your first time this week, or maybe you've been kind of church shopping, you've been trying this out for a little bit, I want to challenge you to commit to this series. It's five weeks long. I want you to commit to coming each week. And you're saying, hey, man, I already got a ski trip planned. That's okay. We have the audio and video up online, at stapletonchurch.com. If you click on the media tab, you can even subscribe so it gets sent straight to your phone. So do that. I want to encourage you because this vision is going to be really, this series is going to be really important for our church as we talk about the vision God has for us in the future. But it's also important to just all of us because we want to see that world. Wouldn't it be great to see something that maybe you didn't even know you're missing? So in this series, we're going to look at some of Jesus' parables. He taught in a lot of different parables, and we're going to look at seven of them that took place that he taught in Matthew chapter 13. So we're going to go through those. Some are very, very short, and some are a little bit longer. And these parables, of course, are stories. And we'll get to those in just a second. So if you have a Bible, um, open up to Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, he he was teaching these these messages, all these different parables, and they all kind of fit together as Jesus is teaching people to have this vision, to see the world with kingdom eyes, with kingdom vision. So in verse 1 of uh, Matthew chapter 13, we read that same day, it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. So he's just trying to hang out. To chill, sitting by the lake. Oh, it's so peaceful and beautiful. But then it says in verse 2, Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. So Jesus is there just hanging out, chilling, but he was such a popular guy. People followed him wherever he went. It's hard for him to get a day away because so many crowds, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. We know at other points that there are probably tens of thousands of people listening to Jesus. And they just flock to him there on the seashore. And he's like, okay, got to do something. Give the people what they want. He goes and he starts teaching. But back then they didn't have microphones. He didn't have a portable PA system. So he got into this boat to teach them from. And the boat would have been a platform for him. But it was also a way that with the lake at his back, it would bring the acoustics so that everyone could hear him. See, Jesus was using technology to reach people with the gospel. Interesting, right? Same thing we try to do when we put our sermons up online and even live stream our service right now. Hey, everybody watching online. Because we want to bring that message that Jesus had to everyone. So Jesus is teaching, and it's said that he's teaching in parables. So the focus of our entire series this uh, month is going to be on these parables. And parables, maybe you're familiar with them. They're almost allegories. They're these stories that have a deeper spiritual truth. But unlike allegories, they were not fictional stories in the the same sense because they were not talking animals, but it was more these parables of real life stuff, everyday stuff that people were familiar with, like farming or baking bread that we're going to see in this series or going out fishing. Jesus used those things for everyday life and he told stories with deep spiritual truth to teach them about the kingdom. So we're going to look at seven of those parables in this series, but today we're not even going to touch the first one, okay? Okay. I know some of you are maybe excited about it. We'll get to it, okay? In fact, I encourage you to read ahead. Read this whole chapter this week, Matthew 13. Read chapter 13. It should only take you about 10 minutes to read this chapter, maybe even less. Spend some time looking at those seven parables. But I'm going to jump down. I'm going to skip the first parable because it's a parable that Jesus talks about, this man going out and planting seed all over the place indiscriminately. We'll get to that next week. But then Jesus talks about why he taught in parables. And that's the point I want to focus on today. Because I think it's kind of a foundation for these parables, a foundation for this series, so we understand why we need to develop this kingdom vision, why we need to see the world the way Jesus taught us to and God wants us to. So we're going to jump down now, if you have your Bible, if you're following along, jump down to verse 10 of Matthew 13. It says that the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Huh? Jesus is saying, hey, I'm teaching these parables to the crowds, but it's to my disciples, my followers, my community, that I am expounding the secrets of the kingdom. They hear these stories, but I'm telling you the secret truth behind them. So now your ears should perk up, right? Don't we want that secret truth? Okay, yeah, I want to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So before we get into this idea of why did he teach those to the crowd so that they wouldn't see the kingdom and to his disciples so that they would, what's going on there? We'll get to that. The first thing I want to talk about is the kingdom of heaven. What is that? Because most of us have no clue. And if we're going to be learning to see the kingdom, we've got to understand what the kingdom of heaven is. Now, most Bible scholars, when they study Jesus, will say... That the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're they're synonymous, was the paramount, the most important thing that Jesus taught. It was really the central theme of everything he taught, whether it was parables or just normal sermons, whether he was meeting with someone, he was always talking about this kingdom. We emphasize the church because we are a church. Jesus set up the church. But did you know he only said the word church in our recorded gospels three times? But he said the word kingdom 121 times. Hmm. Interesting. So we've got to understand what this kingdom is. In fact, at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom. That's what he was talking about over and over and over again. Wherever he went, that's what he was talking about. So we've got to understand this kingdom. And when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about this same gospel. But I think we need to learn to see the kingdom all around us. That's what Jesus wants us to see. And that's why he started teaching in those parables to his disciples. He would explain to them what he meant by these everyday stories. So I want to clarify things about the kingdom because I think there's two easy mistakes that we make as 21st century Americans. We're like, what, what are you talking about with the kingdom? So the first point about the kingdom that I want you to know is that the kingdom of God is God's power in the world, but it's not a place. The kingdom of God is God's power in the world, but not a place. It was not a physical location. It wasn't like, hey, we're all going to Disney's Magic Kingdom. We're not even going to the kingdom of Moravia or wherever in whatever romance movie you're watching that's made up the kingdom, right? It's not a physical place. There was a kingdom of Israel, and one day there will be a kingdom of God physically on earth. But what Jesus was talking about was not a physical place because he would tell people you can enter into the kingdom. And they did right then. What he was talking about is God's power because a king has authority over a kingdom. So whenever God's power is accepted, his authority is accepted into our lives, we enter into the kingdom. So any person who believes in Jesus and says that Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my king, they are under the authority of that king, they have entered the kingdom. So that's why we need to learn to see this kingdom because it's all around us. There are people that we meet every day. There are people in our church that are part of this kingdom. And we need to begin to see that kingdom because it's God power in the world, but it's not a place. The second thing you need to know about the kingdom is that it's already begun, but it's not yet fully realized. It's already begun. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He started it, but it's not in full form. That's why we don't see it with our physical eyes. Because it's already here, but it's not yet fully realized. I I think this is so important for us to understand, too. Um, Tom Wright goes under the pen name N.T. Wright. He's a British theologian. He was watching, there was a show on BBC called The Son of God, all about Jesus, he watched it, and he got to the very end of it. It was very good, but he said it never once mentioned the word kingdom. Not once. And if that's the central message of what Jesus taught, shouldn't a documentary about him mention the kingdom? So he wrote to the producers of this show. He said, hey, how come you didn't mention the kingdom? And the producers wrote him back, which is kind of rare, and they said, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus died, and he still doesn't have a kingdom. We wanted to be nice to him. As if Jesus needs us to be kind and nice to him, right? But the reason why was because this person could not see the kingdom. He didn't realize this aspect of the kingdom, that it's already begun, but it's not yet fully realized. Jesus in Matthew 4.17, in fact, said, if we have that verse in Matthew 4.17, he said, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's here right now. It's begun. The kingdom is here because Jesus had entered the world. God's kingdom was coming in power, one heart, one soul at a time. It's already begun, but it's not going to be until the end that we fully see it. So you've got to realize these two truths about the kingdom of God, that it's a power, not a place, that it's already begun, but it's not yet fully realized. Tracking with me so far? We're going to be going over this again and again, but I want you to understand these basic principles of what the kingdom of is. And if you're saying, Matt, I still don't understand, that's okay. That's what this series is about. That's why we're focusing on this. Because I want you to develop that kingdom vision. I want you to see the way, the world, the way that God sees the world. See the world with kingdom vision. So, let's jump back into our passage. Matthew 3, we're going to look at verse 12 now. And in verse 12, Jesus says, whoever has will be given more. And they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. He's quoting a prophecy from the Old Testament there. But what Jesus is saying is, whoever has will be given more. Those who are in my community, those who are following me as disciples, they have begun to see this kingdom. They realize something is different about me, and I'm going to teach them even more so that they can see the world with this kingdom and and see that the kingdom is already begun, that it's working, that it's growing, that it has power and authority here on this earth. But sadly, the people that are not part of that community, the people that aren't following Jesus, can't see it. And in fact, we often think that Jesus taught in parables to illustrate points. He did, but it was also to obscure the truth from those who could not see it. Hmm. Jesus says, I teach everyone, even to the crowds, crowds of people, I tell the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. But some will never see it. But to those who have decided to follow me, they will. And they will see it all around them. Jesus goes on in verse 14, quoting Isaiah. He says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart... Has become callous, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. By healing, he says, bring them salvation to their life, to make them new. But sadly, some people hear the gospel, the good news about Jesus, this kingdom that is coming in power, and they choose to reject it. They can't see the reality of who Jesus is. They can't see the reality of what He has done for us. They, they hear messages from Jesus, but they're like, oh, I don't know about that guy. They might like him, might think he's a great preacher, a great moral example, a good teacher. But they don't believe him and do what he says. They miss heaven, like I've said before, by 18 inches. It's in their mind, but not into their heart, right? They don't understand what it truly means. Now, I hope today that every one of you will be able to see this, but I know some won't. And you guys have experienced this before. Maybe you've invited a friend to church and you were so moved by the message. You're like, wow, wasn't that incredible? And your friend was like, yeah. You're like, what? And I've seen it from up front. I see one person in tears of joy streaming, these tears streaming down their face and the other person has their arms crossed. It's just that, that frumpy face on. Hmm. Why did I get dragged here? I could have slept in, in this morning. Why is it that one person is so moved and another person is calloused by the same message? You know, we see this in our world, too. I, I want to give you a little history lesson. I love history. I want to show you a photograph. This is a photograph from Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. I love how they can take these old black and white photos and, and put them in color. Isn't that cool? I thought that was cool, so I wanted to show you this. Because this took place on April 4th, eighteen sixty. 5. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little history lesson for those of you who aren't familiar with what's going on at this time in US history. So Abraham Lincoln of course had been elected in 1860, became president in 1861, and right after that, or actually I guess right before that, some states in the south seceded from the union. They left the United States, and of course that precipitated the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln instead of saying, oh, "Okay, go form your own country," said, "No, I'm going to fight for our country because it stands for good values." So Of course, the North, the Union fought the South, the Confederacy, and war after war, battle after battle was fought. And at this point, uh, four years after that, there had been the bloodiest battles of the Civil War already fought, Antietam, Gettysburg. And at this point, the war is winding down because the North was winning. They were winning the war. In fact, just one month after this day, General Lee, the Southern General would. Um, signed the papers of a peace treaty at the Maddox Courthouse. Okay, You guys remember this from American history back in school? So this is one month before the very end of the war, where there would be peace and the nation would once again be united. So Abraham Lincoln knew at this point, instead of rallying the troops, getting everybody excited to fight a battle, he knew it was time to start striving for peace. So at the very end of his speech, and it was a very short speech, he said these words, and I wanted to read them to you. He said, with malice towards none, with charity for all, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to, to care for all him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and orphan, and to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. I mean, beautiful, powerful words. I studied speeches, historical speeches in college, and I love them. But even those words, you've probably heard them before. With malice towards none. Abraham's Lincoln words were so powerful that people there were like, yes, we have to catch this vision of, even though we were just fighting those people, they are our brothers and sisters, and we must unite our nation once again, seek peace, and even forgive those who have harmed us and killed our children and grandchildren. This amazing speech united the nation at the time. And I'm... There were some other people there. So if you zoom in real close, you can see Abraham Lincoln right there in the center on the the steps of the Capitol giving a speech. But I want to show you one other person. Do you know who that is? John Wilkes Booth, who about 40 days after this would break into Ford's Theater where Abraham Lincoln was watching a play and would shoot the president in cold blood, assassinating him, murdering him because he hated what Abraham Lincoln and the Union stood for. So how could all these people be like, Wow, Abraham Lincoln, the best president in our country has ever seen, uniting us, these powerful words, with malice towards none, he said. But John Wilkes Booth heard the same words, and he had malice in his heart, only hate. He hated and opposed everything that Abraham Lincoln stood for. But isn't that what happens? The same message gets heard by one person and is accepted and loved, but by another person the same message is rejected and hated. Paul said, something along the similar lines with the gospel. He said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross seems foolish to those who are lost and dying, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. Same message, one message, and yet one person accepts it and loves it, and the other person rejects it and hates it. Isn't this what happens? This is what happens spiritually when we hear this message, this this truth about this kingdom that has arrived and that's growing, that has this power and authority here on this planet, that God is at work to transform lives. One person is is enthralled by that and, and loves it, and another person rejects it and walks away. Sadly, that is the truth that Jesus was pointing out. And I hope and pray that everyone in here would see the kingdom that they would have ears to hear the truth and hearts to believe that it is real and to obey it. And if you're asking, well, what is going on? Why does this happen? Paul would give us a little more insight into this in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verse 5, he said, The God of this age, Satan, the accuser, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is God's image. People are blind to the truth. That's why their eyes can't see. They can't even develop and and, and increase their kingdom vision. They don't have it at all. They can't see it. Their minds are blinded. Now, we could spend countless hours, and theologians have, debating why this happens. Is there predestination? Is there free will? What's going on with all this stuff? Jesus doesn't tell us in this passage. So you could spend a lot of time debating that at community group this week. Or maybe not. Maybe he gets some good stuff. The point is that we all know that that happens. One person sees. One person is blind. One person hears. The other person is deaf. One person believes in their heart. The other person's heart is calloused. Will not repent. Will not turn in faith to God. And if you're here and you're saying, well, I don't believe, Matt. Are you calling me blind? No, I didn't say it. Jesus did. But that's the reality H. G. Wells once wrote a short story called *The Country of the Blind*. Maybe you've heard of it. We get the saying in the valley of the one-eyed king. The, I'm sorry, in the valley of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Have you heard of it? It's an old saying. Well, in this story, there's this this man, and he's a, a mountain climber, and he's climbing in Ecuador in, in, into the Andes Mountains, and he gets kind of he falls off a ledge, and he falls into this valley where there's no escape. The the mountains are too high and He can't get out of this valley, and he finds out living in this valley, cut off from the rest of the world, is a valley of people, and all of them are blind. And he stumbles in there. There's no way out, and and he figured out that probably 14 generations before that, these people have been cut off by some natural disaster from the rest of the world. And because of a virus that one person got that made them blind, they all began to go blind. The whole valley was blind, could not see. And generation after generation, they forgot that they had ever seen. So when he began to talk to them about sight and about seeing and about the sun and how the sun glistened off the snow on the cliffs, they thought he was crazy. In fact, they called him a fool. What are you talking about this sight thing? They could feel. They could smell. They had all their other senses heightened, but they could not see. And he tried to explain it to them, but they thought he was Crazy. So after fighting them and fighting them for a while, trying to argue with them, he realized it wasn't working. They were blind. They could not see. He could not explain the son to them no matter how hard he tried. So he finally just kind of gave up, and he started to fall in love with one of the young women in this valley. And they fell in love, and he decided he wanted to marry her, but they would not let him marry this woman, her father, because this man was crazy. He was a fool. They said, in order for you to marry our daughter... We're going to give you a requirement. You're going to need to have surgery to correct your craziness, to remove your eyes. He fought with it for a while and then finally decided, okay, I love this woman. I'm going to do it. But then he looked around and he saw the sun. He knew the sun was real no matter what anyone said. He could see the mountains. He could see the cliffs. He saw the beauty of the world and he said, I cannot lose this. And it's interesting, H.G. Wells rewrote the ending to this story, and I think the second ending is, is really fascinating because in the second ending, um, he is trying to escape, and he sees that a rock slide is beginning to form that would come down and crush the entire village. So he runs back to them and says, I saw these rocks, and they're about to tumble down. There's a rock slide coming. You've got to get out of here. Come with me to safety. And they said, you're crazy. How can you see destruction? Sight is not real. And sadly, he escaped, but they all were crushed and killed. Destruction came for them. You see, to those who are blind, they don't even realize they're blind. Like me when I was a teenager, I didn't even know that I could not see until I put those glasses on and a whole new world was open to me. I say this because some people are like, man, I'm not blind. I, I hear what you're saying. I've heard about Jesus and, and what he did for us, that he died for us on the cross and forgave us our sins. I, you know, but I don't know. I don't know if I believe it. And I'm telling you, you're blind. Jesus said it. And I'm praying and challenging you to, to pray that God would open up your eyes. Because what if he is right? What if there is this kingdom around you that you cannot see? I really like what C.S. Lewis said about belief in Jesus. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. See, not only will you see that Jesus is the king, that he died for you and accept his gift of forgiveness. But when you believe not only that, you will begin to see everything around you with different eyes. You'll have this kingdom vision. You'll see God at work in different and mysterious ways. When other people say coincidence, you will say providence, because you see the kingdom. And I hope that you will begin to see it as well. I want to go back to Second Corinthians, um, chapter four, verse five. If we have that verse, we can go back a little bit, Kelly. It said that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from clearly seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is God's image. Do you know what this is saying? Is that people are blinded from seeing Jesus, because when you see Jesus for who he truly is, not just a good teacher, not just a moral example, not just one among many prophets, but when you see him as the king of the universe and the savior of the world, all of your sight is changed. Your entire life is transformed. There was an early theologian in the early church named Origen, just about 150, 200 years after Jesus. And he coined this phrase, he called it auto basileia, about Jesus. And in Greek, that's two different words, auto meaning self, and basileia meaning kingdom. Because Jesus was the kingdom of God himself. He was the kingdom in the flesh. This was the king walking among us. And that's why Jesus would say the kingdom is at hand. It has begun because I am here. And when he left, he said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Because we know that Jesus, he came and left his crown of glory to come onto this earth. To love people, to serve people, to not act like a king, but to bow down and serve other people. And then he was still rejected by the people he came to save. And they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They put on a purple robe on his back and a crown not of gold but of thorns. And they mocked him as king of the Jews. And when he hung on the cross with the sign above him in three different languages mocking him as the king of the Jews, Jesus died for our sins. But we know that the power he talked about, that kingdom, was real because on the third day, breath returned to his lifeless body. He arose from the dead, and he appeared to over 500 people over the span of 40 days before ascending into heaven where he is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God in power as the king of kings. That's Jesus, and when you see him, you see the kingdom. He is the king, and when I tell you that, if your heart is moved, I think you have begun to see the kingdom, and I hope that you will see it, and I hope you will realize there is so much more to this world that I'm missing, And I hope today that you will see him maybe for the first time. Because he is the King of Kings. Jesus finished out our section, verse 16 and 17. He said, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Well, you have seen Jesus, you have heard him today. I hope that you will rise up and be called blessed as well. This is kingdom vision. That's where it starts. See Jesus as your savior and as your king. And I want you from that point to develop kingdom vision. Because once you do that, you're going to see everything else differently. And as we go through this series, you're going to see that every person you run into in your life may just become a child of the king. And I've got to tell them about Jesus, because what if this is one of those royal princes or princesses? You're going to tell everyone and you're going to want to invite them into your church and help them develop communities to grow roots so that they might grow up and multiply and help other people follow Jesus. And then you're going to realize that people are kind of in progress and they're struggling and you're going to have to give people grace because it's not our job to judge in the kingdom. We're going to be people of grace in the kingdom. And then we're going to see that even though it feels like in our country Christianity is dwindling and under attack, the reality is that the kingdom is growing. And people don't even know this, but tens of thousands, millions upon millions are accepting Christ in Latin America and Africa and Asia. And the kingdom is expanding rapidly in our world. We're going to learn that the kingdom is all around us, that God is at work and we can be a part of it. And that's what we're going to see in this series. So not only is it, I think, going to help focus our church as we look forward to the vision God has for us, but I think every single one of us are going to be able to begin to see the world with new eyes. So as I have the band come up right now, I have three applications for you. And this will apply differently to different people. And you can look at it on on your notes in here. There's these notes on this this front page. Those are sermon notes. And and then the next two pages are notes. You're supposed to kind of look through those questions, write down some answers before you go to community group this week. But if if you look at those notes, um, you look at the bottom, there's these three applications. So I want you to circle the one that applies to you. The first one is to pray for eyes to see. If you're like, Matt, I don't believe or I'm not sure. I have questions and doubts. I want to see, but I just don't yet. Pray that God would open the eyes of your heart. Just make that your prayer today. Because if it's not real, I mean, it's no harm to pray, right? But that's what I've been praying for you, that your eyes would be open to this kingdom vision, to the king. So that's the first one. Maybe you need to circle that if that's you, if you're not sure, if you believe not. The second application is to move from the crowd to the community. Did you realize that Jesus was teaching the crowd, but it was only to the community that really got the secrets of the kingdom? It was to those who had decided to follow him as disciples. And that's what we're all about here, helping people follow Jesus. We want you to move from the crowd to the community. So maybe that's the commitment you need to make. You've been church shopping, or even you say, hey, I'm a believer, but I'm not really involved anywhere in a community. Well, I can tell you this, that the kingdom of God is always more than the church, but it's never less than the church. You need a community around you. So I want you to say, hey, maybe I need to sign up for a community group today. Maybe I need to sign up for SC101 next week, Stapleton Church 101, to find out more about this church and get involved and get plugged in somewhere. Maybe that's just you. I just need to, to find a community and I need to put down some roots. Maybe that's the application for you today. And the third one is to serve the king. If you already see this way, if you already believe, you're already part of our church community, I want to challenge you to serve the king. Serve the kingdom that he is establishing and growing every single day. I don't know what way this will take. We'll talk about it this throughout our series. But, but maybe you're saying, Hey, I care about teenagers. I want to help them see the same things I see. We need a couple new volunteers with our youth group in Turbulence. Maybe you could volunteer for Wednesday nights. Or become a greeter, or help in the cafe, or with kids ministry. We ha- always have needs. But maybe you're just saying, How could I serve the king? How could I serve the kingdom? So I want you to begin to think that. Maybe it's through giving. I've been coming here for a while. I've even volunteered, but I'm not giving my money. But I'm telling you, if the king is the king... And if the kingdom is all around you and you want to help it grow and increase, you've got to invest your money in it. So these are the challenges I have today. So just I want you to circle one of those prayerfully, considerately, and make that your application step because I want you to see with kingdom vision. See the world the way that God sees it. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, I pray that you'd open all of our eyes, open our ears, open up our minds, open up our hearts that we can truly believe that you are the king of the universe that stepped out of glory for us, that died for us on the cross and ascended again into heaven. Lord, we know that that power and authority exists because you rose from the dead and we can have that through faith. And Lord God, I pray that through our eyes, we begin to see the whole world with different eyes. Give us kingdom vision here in this church. And Lord, I pray especially for those in here who have never put their trust in you, have never declared you as their king in their life. Lord, open their hearts this morning that for the first time stir in their hearts. May the shackles on their eyes fall off. May the calluses break off their heart, Lord, and may it be softened to hear and believe and accept and be transformed today. Lord God, open the eyes of our hearts. Amen. Well, I've asked Bobby to play an old song, but it's a good song. (laughs) I think you guys might remember this back from the 90s. It's a good one. we're gonna take communion in a second. If you want your eyes to be open, or maybe you felt today that they were for the first time, I'm gonna be in the back. Our prayer team's gonna be in the back, like we are every week. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. Uh, and and then let's just sing this song together. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the
1: eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. down.
2: as many of you know, on the first Sunday of each month, uh, we participate in communion together as a church community. And it's easy to get into a rhythm with this um, because we do it on a regular basis, but I think it's important that we understand why we do it. Um, Communion is first a reminder of the death of Jesus on our behalf. In His death, Jesus took our place. And in His death, His body was broken and His blood was spilled so that you and I could be saved from the penalty of our sin and have eternal life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Communion is also a participation so that as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we're participating in the reality that because of what Jesus has done, we have a living relationship with Him. And we look forward to that day that He'll come again and we'll be face-to-face with Him for eternity. So for those of you who participate this morning, I want to encourage you to do so with thanksgiving for all that Christ has done for you. And as you participate, I want to ask that you just hold on to those elements for just a moment as we take a couple of moments to examine our own hearts and then we'll participate together. God's word in 1 Corinthians 11 says that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand together as we close in worship?